0: No more room in hell. The dead
1: will walk here. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Thanks for tuning into Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and on the line with me tonight is Danny and Scott. And this is a place where we try to have intelligent conversation about horror movies. And very glad you have joined us tonight for the program. And by the way, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Twitter. At The Blackest Eyes. And like us on Facebook if you're more of a Facebook person. And of course, you can always subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcatcher or just simply at the website, TheBlackestEyes.com. Hope you'll join us, be a part of the community, and thankful that you're with us tonight. Good to be with both of you guys again. Scott, did I notice earlier today that
2: you were a guest on a different podcast? Did that happen today? Yeah, that happened today. So I have a friend who's. Um past Lutheran pastor up in Northern California, a real small town. And, uh, during the pandemic, he's been doing, I think daily interviews with pastors and other people in ministry within our, our Lutheran denomination. Uh, he just does like a 20 minute interview, puts it up on, you know, uh, uh you know, live on Facebook, whatever you call that. And then he, he puts the video on YouTube. Yeah, I was going to take a look yeah. at it. It looked like it was just kind of a checking in on you kind of thing, like what's yeah, going on. Yeah, and- well, he's just saying, you know, so how has the pandemic affected your your ministry? And it's just a chit-chat kind of thing. It, it's meant to be positive and encouraging. And so he asked uh, me, and, you know, I could talk about what it, how, what effect it had on my teaching as a university professor and it's real short it's only i mean i think all told it's about 20 minutes and um yeah that's what i did i did that that's this cool. morning yeah. so this is a podcast day for you then
1: <laughs> yeah that's all right though i'm having a good time yeah absolutely and Danny, what's happening in eastern kentucky my friend
0: just dealing with uh, quarantine and isolation and uh, same as it has been for about two months
1: yeah yeah But school's all over and-
0: It is, I'm in a a slight period of of relaxation before my uh, summer classes fire up uh, in a couple of weeks. Very cool.
1: Well, tonight we get to review kind of a different film, uh, something that's going to be uh, just a bit different than what we've done the last several weeks. We've been reviewing quite heavy movies and themes that are rather dark. Uh, but tonight we're going to do time lapse and time lapse is an american-made film directed by bradley king uh, released in 2014 so a six-year-old film it stars danielle Pannabaker, matt o'leary and george finn and apparently this is bradley king's directorial debut and i think tonight that danny is going to help us uh, give a quick overview of the film then we can begin discussing and tell us what we think so Go oh, for it, Danny.
0: Okay, I'll go for it. Uh, it's not the easiest film to do this with, but uh, uh time-lapse involves three friends who collectively seem to work as the maintenance staff for this apartment complex where they live. Um, and in checking on a, a tenant who had been missing or who, whose you know, newspapers were piling up, they discover that the tenant has a strange and huge machine pointed at the open or the the front window of their apartment. And it is like clockwork once a day. It may turn out not to be once a day, but that's what we think at the beginning. Once a day, it is taking a picture of their apartment, which is weird. But even weirder is when they watch it happen and a picture develops, the picture is from one day in the future. So this gives the three friends access to information from the future, which, as in so many time travel pieces, they use to their benefit by working out how they can make su- successful bets at a uh, dog racing track. Uh, because this is a horror movie, and I, and I think I don't even think we're expanding our definition of horror to do this. This is a horror movie. Uh, it is listed as sci-fi on a lot of places that you see it listed, but it's definitely sci-fi horror. Um, things go wrong. And uh, any time in film or fiction we mess with time and we, uh, we, we do things in that mess with the time continuum, things go bad and that, and that happens here. And that's the basic setup.
1: Okay, great. Good job. So let's begin with overall impression of the film. And I thought tonight I'd be a little bit more specific with the way we talk about just the overall ideas of the movie. Let's answer these three questions tonight. Uh, So as I turn it over to you, try to address these three things. Number one, did you enjoy the picture? Number two, would you recommend it to someone? And number three, how would you rate the overall performances of the three main main protagonists? So Scott, with those three questions, did you enjoy it? Would you recommend it? How would you rate the performances? How would you reply to those questions?
2: Well, I, I did enjoy it and I um, have recommended it so, so I would recommend it. I mean it's not sort of my favorite movie but yeah I think it's entertaining. Uh, the performances um, I actually thought they were pretty good. I mean nobody I mean none of them are bowl me over awesome but they, I thought they were very capable. Okay, cool. Danny, how would you respond?
0: I, I think I'll just exactly along Scott's lines. Uh, I enjoyed it, uh, we'll talk about maybe when I stopped enjoying it here during the podcast, but I definitely overall enjoyed the film. I absolutely have at least a group of friends I would recommend this to. It's a film that will appeal to, to people who like time travel stuff and who like sci-fi and can handle a little bit of horror with with it. Um, and this is a case where I think as far as the acting goes, we've just come through this string of podcasts where there's been so many great performances, and I don't think we have any of that in this one. They're, they're capable and fine performances. Uh, I, I did find myself thinking I want to watch more stuff with Daniel Panabaker in it and then I remembered I you know I watched The Flash for years and she's a regular on that I kind of forgotten about her uh, but she is she is good in this movie and uh, uh, I think gives the most interesting performance I thought the her boyfriend uh, Finn was a little drab like I, and I don't know but anyway that, uh, overall definitely liked the movie
1: yeah so uh, I enjoyed it it was fun to watch for sure I think. I would recommend it only to those friends of mine that would find the the time travel element uh, interesting and would want to think through that. But I don't think I would recommend it uh, as a general rule. Uh, and I, so I'm going to be maybe a little bit more critical on the performances than it sounds like you guys. And Maybe it is because uh, we've watched just some films that are absolutely incredible in terms of the acting and uh, the way the portrayals have have moved me and, and whatnot. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't find Danielle to be quite as effective as you did, Danny. And I think Matt's character intentionally was supposed to be that way. Uh, he's so caught up in his painting, right, that he, he he has nothing else to offer. He's just this dry soul. So I think he conveyed that well. I thought he was the strongest actor, actually, of, of the three. And, um, and, and then... You know, George Finn, uh, I think, did an okay job, but it was sometimes I was like, I'm enjoying the movie in spite of what seems like some really forced dialogue, some really uh, not necessarily impressive performances. But I think I can look over that and it was still a fun movie. And I'm really excited to talk about this because, yeah, there were some 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 pretty deep issues here that we're going to have to get into. So let's do that. I guess the first thing we need to discuss in some detail is the concept of time travel. And in this case, seeing into the future, as Danny has said, a camera takes a picture and we get to see eight o'clock the following evening. It's like a Polaroid kind of thing. The main issue at hand here in the film is one of retro causality, causal loops. If you know anything about time travel, that's a pretty common deal. And it just says how a future event has an impact on previous events. But those previous events are in some way dependent on that future event and how that loops together uh, in terms of the way causation happens. So these are deep, deep waters, uh, to be sure, extremely complicated. So let me ask you first, how much time have you spent uh, considering the feasibility of the underlying premise of the film? And I, and I think if we can, do I'll even specify more than that. If we assume that the photos were, in fact, a photo of the future, so we accept that science fiction aspect of the film, do the events even make sense? So in particular, does the dog racing thing even work? If this were, in fact, a camera that takes a photo 24 hours in the future, is what they do putting the dog racing results on the window Would that even work? And then the painting in the background. Now he's able to see his own painting uh, so that he has motivation and inspiration to paint. How much thought have you given those things? And do the concepts even work when you think critically about what's happening in the movie? Scott, give me some brilliant answer, man, about how you've pondered this. What do
2: you got? I mean, I think you might have... You guys maybe think about that stuff a little more than I do. I, In terms of, you know, the... Uh, is it logical? Is it consistent? Um, it's a bit confusing. Now this is the third time I've seen this movie. So, um, you know, I think I kind of, there was no point in which I was lost, but yeah, if you start to think about it, I mean, if I, if I look at today's paper and see the outcome of dog races and put them up in front of a camera that is taking a picture yeah, I mean it hurts my brain, so I just kind of go with it. That's what sort of my thing. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, that's fair. Danny, what
1: about you, man? is? Well, first
2: of how- all, I just
0: want to say, as a lifelong reader and enjoyer of, of sci-fi with time travel, I just turn off my brain because you know the, the paradoxes that are created. Uh, if you think too much about them, it just all completely falls apart. However, I, I actually think the central conceit here does work. Um, So what they're seeing in that picture, that first picture they found, uh, or I guess the first picture after they figured out what the camera did, is they're seeing what they are going to do the next day. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that next day they're going to get up and they're going to, you know, wait until they get the results from the track that day. And it was eight o'clock at night that they were doing it. So at some point that day, they're going to get the results and they're going to to write those on the, the, the window. That is the initial event that started it. From that point on, the pictures they develop, they just have to you know, copy those numbers over each day. So, I, I mean, I think it works. It's when later on in the movie, when they basically undermine that conceit entirely or, or extend, expand on it too much, that I think it stops working.
1: Yeah, the reason I think it's an important question to deal with a little bit is that the end of the film relies heavily on this premise. And as a matter of fact, it even takes it in a little bit different direction. So if you're not tracking with what they're doing, the film is supposed to be a a powerful gotcha moment. Uh, It kind of hits you in the gut, uh, thinking that things are actually going to be okay. And then right at the last moment, no, it's not. And here's why. But you have to understand why. If you don't, if you haven't been tracking or at least somewhat thinking about why this whole thing works, the end of the movie is going to be completely lost on you. And even though I was trying my hardest to track, the end of the movie still, to a large degree, was lost on me. I understand in general what was trying to happen, but specifically, it's like, oh man, I, I they just lost me what they were trying to do, and we can talk more about that in just a minute. So yeah, if you, if, 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 if you don't want to go like super deep on the forward thinking thing, we can, but I'll just say this. The first picture they saw was the coat rack falling, right? And then that happens that evening. That's when they figure out that the photo is taking uh, the camera is taking photos 24 hours in advance. Do you all remember what was the next photo they saw? Scott, did you watch it today? What was the uh, next yeah, photo they saw today. after the
2: coat hanger thing? Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't draw can't it out of my head. No, sorry. Okay. I actually,
0: th- I, th- I thought it was the, the, the all three of them standing there with the, uh, the three race results, or just one race result listed.
1: Okay, so that would make sense. That's that's what it has to be. Whatever, whenever they realize what's happening. And whenever they realize we could make money on this, the next photo before they tape the results, the next photo has to be the race results or right. the whole thing falls apart. So you're saying you think that's what it was?
0: I'm almost fact. positive it was. Yeah.
1: OK, because if, if that doesn't work, then the, the rest of the movie doesn't work. And I meant to go back and look and make sure. But that's the only way it works. It's, it's before they post the things on the window—they have to have already seen the picture of what those things are going to be,
0: right? And so here's my problem with uh, with that premise. Uh, I love the premise, so uh, so I have to turn off my brain because what they then have to do once they from that point on, once they get a photo, is make sure that they're able to recreate that photo perfectly. At well, they think that right. That's what their their thought is, uh, and they they manage to do it. And life is too chaotic. There's just too much. If you you could not perfectly recreate a situation, even if you knew it was coming. So uh, but they they always do. Like, uh, again, we find out later that they don't have to that, you know, they think that, you know, the person that did this before has died because he tried to change the future. Uh, That turns out not to be true, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, so they didn't have to create it perfectly, but every time they show us the two images, it's always perfect.
1: Yeah, so at the beginning, until you realize, as you say, in fact, you did not have to make it perfect, but at the beginning, the movie does not answer for us which direction the movie is using philosophically as as it pertains to our futures, because there's two ways you can go here. One is absolute fate, that what's going to happen will happen. And there's no way to alter the future. It is going to happen so that the photo is a glimpse of the future, but there's no way to alter the future. So even if they wanted to do something different, they wouldn't be able to. That's the way it was going to happen. So when they start saying we have to recreate it exactly, what I'm thinking in my mind is, well, you don't have a choice anyway. Once you get, and a couple of times it worked out that way. He forgot, remember when he he was painting and he kind of got caught up in his painting and what he was doing ended up being what the photo was doing. But he wasn't even thinking about it because he was so caught up. It was like, well, you know, fate. In most of the films we think about, Terminator, Back to the Future, the whole phrase is there is no fate but what you make. You remember in the Back to the Future films, the photo, the Polaroid would change based on what was happening in the past or even in the future. And so the idea is you can alter and you can change time. That's eventually where this movie goes as well. But at the beginning, you don't really know that. You don't know what philosophy the film is taking as it pertains to fate.
0: It appears that they think they have free will, but fate is actually determined, right? That's right. It seems like the film is deterministic, but they think they're in a world with free will. And it turns out they are... And they make all the wrong decisions.
1: They make the wrong decisions, yeah. Any, anything to add there, Scott?
2: Yeah, uh, so um, as I'm trying to put it all together in my head right now, I'm thinking of a couple things that, that, that Danny mentioned just a second ago. So they they think that the guy who invented the, uh, you know, the camera, it's actually a really giant machine but it's essentially a Polaroid camera that he messed up somehow um recreating or he 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 messed up the timeline somehow and that's why he died because uh, they find his corpse in his storage locker and it's you know it, it, the cause of death is really strange right because his, his corpse is all looks like it's been burned but his clothes are not scorched so they think that he did something which threw off the timeline and that meant he had to die and shrivel up. And then when, when, uh, Callie, the, the female, when she says, when she, she tries, I mean, you know, she gives it on the back of a napkin, she kind of draw or something, she draws out. This is how it's going to happen. You know, that if we don't, if we don't, you know, recreate, if this doesn't happen exactly like it says in the, in the photograph, then our future ends. So, um, yeah, they kind of mess. I mean, it, it goes back and forth, and so that's why it's confusing. Right, that's what I was saying. There's ambiguity
1: as yeah. to how the film is trying to get us to understand what this future photo really means. Uh, as Danny says, at the end of the day, it seems like there's a certain kind of fatalism that happens, mm-hmm. but you don't know for sure. You're not really sure exactly what, uh, how the photo works, and I still don't know either. And by the way, let me just get the – let me ask you this. How have they never noticed this 700-ton camera pointing right (laughs) into their open window? (laughs) Because because obviously the blinds had to be open over there. The blinds had to be open on theirs. They had take hundreds of photos as we find out. It seems like at some point they would have recognized this massive thing was pointing right in their living room. They 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 do
0: mention – one of the characters does mention – I guess that explains the blue light we kept seeing over uh, there. Oh, yeah. That's oh, right. I don't they,
2: even remember that one. Yeah, line. they do Who's, say that. Who says that? Okay. Right. Yeah, one of them does say, oh, that explains why we've, you know, the gr- yeah, blue or green light we've seen, uh, you know, through the window. And I will also
0: say that when you look at, he had a big wall with all the Polaroids on it, and at least 80% of those, the blinds were closed. So it wasn't like they had their windows open. The whole time, uh,
2: the whole time I see. Right, right. Well, my the, one of my what, questions is, why did he point it there? I mean, if you are making... Why did he point it through his uh, window into the window of the apartment across from him? I, I mean, there's no answer. he could have pointed it at anything, right? In his own living room.
0: Exactly. I mean, you get that he wanted to see that he would observe the next day to see if it matched, and yeah. uh, you could see how that would, you know, frame it for him and stuff. But he could easily have done that. I guess it's just so huge.
2: Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's uh, a. I mean, it's an interesting they made some interesting choices i think that the director was also if i'm right am i right that he was also the screenwriter maybe him and one other guy and um i mean we don't know anything about this guy the who made it the um uh, Bazarides or something like that mr basarides they said something about him being a scientist but that's not really explained um he seems to have invented the this means of peering into the future. Then later in the movie, we have a colleague of his, a woman who shows up because he sent her a letter saying something and sending a photo and explaining what he's discovered. I would have liked to know more about him, especially since um, the credits list, John Reese Davies as Mr. Bazarides. And as we talked about before we started recording, I don't think he appears in the whole movie except in a photograph and that's a to me a shame i i think it would have been kind of cool to have a little more backstory on him
0: you actually wonder if it you know something ended up on a cutting room floor Mm, because it's very odd that you'd have a star that big be the uh, you know uh, one photo
1: right i wonder what they had to pay him just to take a picture of him right (laughs) Uh, use anybody for that so let's talk about though the death Uh, how he was killed. As we've already mentioned, it was initially assumed uh, that he died because the he, he screwed up the space-time continuum. Later we come to find out that he died because he knocked over some kind of container containing some kind of gas in a storage room. Um, one of you explained that to me, because the container then ends up coming into play in the movie with a film uh, or in the, in the painting, and um, somehow there's a connection there that I, I didn't necessarily fully understand. So help me understand what was going on with his death and the gas and how that played into the photo he had sent to Mrs. Heidelberger or whatever her name was. Uh, did, that, did all that
2: make sense to you?
0: Scott? You uh, watched, no. You watched I it mean, the most recently. so
2: Yeah, I watched it today. Um, I mean, I had to kind of, uh, you know, I, I rewound my, my uh, device to see that scene a couple times because – the cut co- they, Yes. They think that he's dead because he messed up the time continuum, but it's, ex- uh, this other colleague of his comes in and she explains, no, you see that canister on the ground. He had, you know, blah, 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 gas and the canister fell and it, and it, and it, you know, the toxins came out in the air and it killed him. But I don't know exactly why that canister had to be in, uh, it, well, it the, gets, it gets used in another scene.
0: Right. Well, so the The reason he was scared is he saw the picture and there was blood on the window and the in the painting was a painting that symbolically was that chemical in the storage room right all right so now why that made him think that they were going to oh also his hat i'm sorry his hat's also in the photo So he sees his own hat in their apartment, he sees blood on the window, and he sees a painting of that chemical that he has stored in the storage room. So that's why he went there, why going there got him turned into the end of Indiana Jones where they looked at the Lost Ark. I don't know how that happened.
2: Yeah, why that that happened? That makes sense, Danny. I didn't. I didn't get that. That that photo that included a picture of the canister was the photo that Bazaridis had seen, and email and mailed to his colleague. Is that what what you were just saying? Did I get that right? Yes, I I think so. Yeah, yeah, I get which of
1: course makes no sense (laughs) if we we maintain a strict twenty four hour period because multiple days had passed between when he died and they found his body
0: so that's when we learned that that he the scientist could maybe not put it anywhere he wanted but was experimenting with seeing farther into the
2: future yeah they said yeah that was explained that that he had settings where he could adjust you know a week in the future a month in the future and and uh, Jasper. And, and, the, and his yeah. female
0: scientist friend says specifically that she doesn't know if he could pick a time in the
2: future, right. but. Right, but just any old time. He, right.
0: Right, but he could change how far it was.
2: Yeah, something like that. Right.
1: So you see your own hat, you see blood, <laughs> and you see a container that reminds you of deadly gas that's <laughs> stored in this basement. Probably the best thing to do then is it's to go good. down in that room, shut the door, and just see what happens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and try to get some of that gas yeah and it, yeah because his death was totally accidental right i mean he wasn't killed he didn't right. uh interrupt the time continuum and that caused his death but it was just sort of a fluke but yeah it's yeah it's absurd to uh, so many dead ends in, in the logic i think <laughs> um yeah what else you know it, it's interesting
1: the the movie i don't know what the budget was for this film i, I wouldn't be able to find it but it's, it basically takes place in one apartment, really. there's uh, You get to see his apartment a couple of times, and we see the storage room, and a little bit of the outside area of this community. But basically, it's in one apartment. But, you know, it doesn't feel... Um, it doesn't feel like you're wanting to see more. I, I thought the movie did well in that regard. I did, I, as I thought back on it, I thought, you know, there really wasn't much there. There wasn't many settings there there wasn't a whole lot of uh, different things to see but it didn't bother me what about uh, you guys did, did that one location bug you
0: no it's very I mean, it's it's a tight story and the setting makes sense for the story they're telling and it also i think it looked pretty good it did not look super low budget the cinematography was you know spot mm-hmm. on i mm-hmm. like the prop design the uh, the giant camera is really cool looking um and i mean it You could see how it would have been pretty cheap to make for the for the, you know, for the studio, for the the filmmakers, but it still looked cool had a sort of almost a steampunk kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I thought I'm I'm absolutely fine with the production value and the uh, and sort of the I don't know what we would have benefited from, you know. In, in maybe in a Hollywood movie, we would have seen her going through her papers in London and then jumping on a plane and all that stuff. But I don't think any of that really would have benefited the movie.
2: Yeah, it felt to me um, like it could be a stage play. And there's sort of an... I don't know. I kind of like that. I liked that it was mostly in their living room. You mm-hmm. get glimpses of other rooms or other places, but not much. And it's mostly in their one spot. I, it seems more intimate. it, it It's... It's not, you're not distracted by all the, um, you know, externals and and background. It's really just about these characters and their dialogue and how they descend or how they turn on each other and so on.
0: Yeah, in the end, it's a character study, right? It is. And the
2: sci-fi stuff is
0: just, you know it's just what it is, right? It's not, it's not actually the folk kind of like the walking dead always says, it's not about the zombies. It's, right. This is not really about time travel or time manipulation. It's about what, you know, a certain amount of power, what, what lust for money, what this does to these three characters.
1: Yeah. We have two, you know, from, um, what's Daniel Panabaker's name? Cal movie. Yeah. Cal- Callie. How could I forget that? My daughter's name is Yeah. Um, Callie, you know, the way that he kind of entices, the way that Finn, or not Finn, uh, Jasper kind of entices Callie is you, you can stop working, you don't have to do this job, but really the the primary two uh, motives for wanting to continue to pursue this idea was the betting, because he wanted money, money was one of them, but the other was much more artistic, right? And I, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but for Finn, it was... The idea that he was going to get rid of this artistic block that he was in and now he's able to paint and do what he wants to be doing and he's finding joy in that again whereas the whole time what Callie is desiring is for him to be able to find joy in her and we come to find out that she is attempting to manipulate the entire movie as it were in order for his attention to be brought back to her So, uh, Danny, explain to me how that works. So she is now, she picks up, she was the first one to find the camera, and she picks up that it was taking photos not just at 8 o'clock at night, but also at 8 o'clock in the morning. And somehow she is now giving directions to herself as to what she is supposed to do in order to make sure that her and Finn have a happily ever after story. This is where the movie lost me. Help me understand how she's giving messages to herself. And has that then has a retroactive effect. Because the movie seems to be linear in that sense. They can't go back and change things. It's all forward-looking. So
0: did you pick up on that at all? uh, It is forward-looking. And they try to make it not at the end. So we still got to talk about that, right? Uh, And I think you described it perfectly. And I think it just, the trigger is the same as with the... you know, the nighttime picture is that, you know, she knew that uh, he had you know, she found pictures of of uh, of her and uh, oh, I'm sorry. What is the character's ja- name? Jasper. 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 Haven't you know, having what seemed to be a multiple uh, affairs uh, and she was wanting to you know sort of erase that from her memory and and rebuild that relationship so she's like I'm gonna do stuff to get us closer together and I guess she just wastes and sees you know what she writes on the you know she still would have to wait till the next picture was taken to see what ideal she came up with it's a really weird concept Phil yeah well here here's I how it works it. for
2: me tell me if how how this is wrong um th- She's in the future. I mean, the president present is is to yesterday's future. So she's uh, when she puts the sign in the window today.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She sees it in the photo that gets take that gets taken the day before. You are trying to change the past.
1: Yeah, you're trying to change the past, which is yeah. what the
2: end does. Yeah, yeah. But the movie never <laughs>
1: allows that. Yeah. Uh, because sale. if that were if that were the case then what we see happening throughout the film especially as it pertains in the nighttime scenes you would be able to go back and alter the 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 present uh, actually
0: so, I actually now I, I did not get what was going on so i was thinking that the two pictures were you know the the 2 8 hour difference whether well, it be 12 hours 12 hour different pictures were part of the same day right Mm -hmm. but well but they are yeah yeah they are but they are they would have to be part of different days before you could do any manipulation that's right if they're part of the exact same day then you can't change what happens the day before or what's happening the day as you experience it but if you're shifting it and there was a picture at eight o'clock during the day but it's it's, it matches with the picture from eight o'clock the next evening then you could do some manipulation right she or, is talking at the I have end of to the flip movie. it around actually the the one at night has to to be from mm. a different day
1: oh. at, at the end of the film she's talking about resetting the timeline and we won't remember any of this remember when she says yeah. that we won't yeah. we won't remember this so that would have I
0: mean, had to have been Now that I think about it, she would have had to been experiencing that, right? She would already have to know that was true.
1: That's exactly right. But we haven't seen any indication in the film up to that point that there's ever been a loss of any kind of memory from one moment to the next. It's all been for it's all been linear at that point. But now we're looking at a what might be understood as like circular time. We're not going to remember this because I'm going to have something that's going to impact what happened yesterday. But we've not seen that yet in the movie scott are you are you tracking with me here or
2: what do you i don't know <laughs> it makes my brain hurt so what um just to get the plot a little more to bring it a little bit more out into the light here so she um she had been having an affair with jasper okay so these three people live together and she'd been one of them was her boyfriend she'd been having the affair with jasper And when she goes and discovers the camera, she finds a picture from weeks back or however long back of her and Jasper uh, being physically intimate on the couch. And so she takes it and cause she don't want, she don't want her boyfriend to find it. And it turned, it ends up where Jasper become, he kind of loses his mind, right? And he becomes obsessed with the money and he ends up trying to kill both of them and she kills him. I don't know, I get lost. So she was trying to make <laughs> at some point it's like she was trying to make Finn jealous because she wanted him to show jealousy. He went uh, to, to have a little bit of passion about her and he, she succeeds in that, um, i don't know she but you see
1: everything you're saying is about in the future she does succeed but it's 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 moving forward in time but at the end all of a sudden she's She's going to to reset the the timeline
2: so that finn will no longer be dead
1: and that because she's seen any way that that can happen
2: yeah because she kills him too because he's gonna abandon her right at the very end because he finds out that she's been doing all this manipulation so he's gonna abandon her so she kills him and then she thinks she's gonna reset the past, yeah. And she's gonna reset it by making sure she doesn't get caught at the window.
1: Yes. But when's that gonna happen? When, when is it gonna happen where she can't get caught? That has already taken place.
2: Yeah, but she, she, can, she thinks if I'm, she's trying to change the past. So she, if she puts the sign in the window now, her past self will see that and it won't happen.
1: The but, not based, but not based on the way the film has presented it her Up past self has already seen the picture
2: yeah <laughs> yeah right?
0: no, i don't think it's been consistent no. um uh, it also was a very weird thing there that the pictures were in better focus when finn loved her when mm-hmm. he had passion for her the picture was she said look look how it was getting real fuzzy every day but look when you had passion for me and the picture is super clear that's really weird mm. and i don't know what uh, why would the camera do that
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah I, didn't catch that. I, I didn't i didn't even know, know if i heard that that really. did happen did, right yeah, yeah. yeah i I've, i totally take your word for it i don't know I was probably, I think I missed half the dialogue because I was like,
0: what? Is this, <laughs> what was that? I'm not maybe, sure. maybe she was running over and polishing the lens you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to make it clear. Because she had a whole eight hours of manipulation she could do every day. Which also, they never noticed her doing that.
2: Right. Yeah, despite the fact the, that they all
0: seemed to stay in the same room for the entire movie
2: together. It, but, but there was one scene you remember where they'd had right. the party, yeah. and then the next yeah. morning. Uh, the the boyfriend, Finn, is surprised that she's already up.
1: Yeah.
2: You're up early. So, you know, I, I think that was an allusion Thanks. to the fact that she got up early. Right. Was, <laughs> right, right. Something. right. Yeah. Uh,
1: but as we've already said, so if we can put all of those things kind of to the side for a minute it does seem like character development descent into madness conflict with one another attempting to make our futures something that maybe they were never intended to be this is clearly the theme ultimately of the movie and so from a worldview perspective um, the fear of our future is, is a haunting reality a desire to make sure our futures are crafted in such a way that we will have purpose and have joy and have happiness Uh, but would we really be better off knowing what is in front of us and so the film gives us a glimpse of how quickly the human condition right would uh, attempt to exploit and manipulate circumstances in order to meet a standard that we think is most acceptable to us and best for us not necessarily worried about the implications of our neighbor or but what's going to be best for us and so it would never work uh, i from a, a faith world view god's given us the moment with hope for the future but he's given us the moment do you guys know a name um, called elizabeth Elliot? do you know who that is I, um, I don't think i do elizabeth Elliot was the wife of a missionary uh, who was very famously killed for the work that he was doing uh, among a group of unreached people in south america and he finally landed his plane Uh, Jim Elliot. He finally landed his plane, and uh, the first time that he touched down, things went wrong, and he he and his team got speared by these. And so uh, the story of Jim Elliot is a very, very powerful, uh, moving story of faith and of mission and so forth. But Elizabeth Elliot was his wife, and she came on, went on to be a prolific author and a great influence, very important to me. But she made popular a poem. I just wanted to read this real quick. I thought of this as I was watching the movie. And uh, it's, a, it's an older poem, but it's so beautiful. Here's what it says. Many a questioning, many a fear. Many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven. Time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust him with Jesus. And then here's the line. Do the next thing. And that was a big theme for Elizabeth Elliot. Do the next thing. What's ever in front of you, do it faithfully. And don't fear what tomorrow ultimately is going to bring for you. If you're faithful in the moment, then you can have hope for the future. And those are some of the themes that I was wrestling with as they were going mad, uh, attempting to manipulate the future based on the technology that they had in front of them. Uh, How are you guys processing that? Danny, what do you think? (laughs) Uh,
0: I I I see most things from you know sort of a literary the, the literature professor point of view and and you know one of the dichotomies that we talk about constantly in my my classes is you know the ideology of free will versus determinism and which side does it come down on so I actually most of my thought that went into this is it was around where does this film come down which obviously it comes down on the side of free will that that human beings. Get to make their option that we're not all our lives aren't scripted from above, um, and that you know again here in this case you know we don't always make the correct decisions but you can't blame anyone in that case but but yourself.
2: Yeah, Scott. Yeah, so I. You know, I was the way I read this movie was about the characters and what they were like. What was their inner uh, inner man or their inner like life like? And we learn about they all three have some positives and negatives. And we learn about Jasper that he is consumed with greed. He uh, starts out as kind of a love, you know, sort of a lovable, rakish, kind of devil may care kind of character. Um, but he who has a gambling problem and it just escalates everything in this film escalates around his desire to grasp onto more acquisition of things the girl Callie she wants love she she's about having a, a strong relationship with Finn even though she has been unfaithful to him in the past she's manipulating things so that he will love her or that that relationship will be, um, you know, heightened or or, uh, bettered. Finn to me is the guy who is, has as much as any of them do has, has integrity because from the very beginning, he recognizes that this can be dangerous. We probably should just call the police. As soon as we find the scientist's body, let's, call the police, even though they know they have this machine that can do something really weird. He's not immediately thinking about how this can help him. He does, when he fig- when he realizes that it takes a picture of his blank easel and shows him what his, well, of his easel, and it shows him a picture of what his painting will be tomorrow. And so that makes him uh, be able to break through his creative blockage. But anyway, he, he's the one that threw out, and even at the very end, and he dies for making this choice. Uh, that we need to just destroy this machine. It is—it's not good to try to uh, try to do that. Let's either leave or let's destroy it. Let's call the cops. So I thought that was kind of um, kind of an interesting uh, character comment. Anyway, so I yeah, for me it was kind of that sort. Of how did they change? How did when they start to turn on? Because at the beginning they seemed to all be kind of best friends, and then they turn on each other pretty fast. So that's what I took from it. That idea yeah. of trying to
1: manipulate the future, whether it's for money, whether it's for love, whether for it's our artistic uh, mm-hmm. license, in, in almost every movie where you see this idea of time travel or knowing the future, at some point in the film or in the series of films, uh, there comes a point where we have to destroy this thing because it's destroying us. So Back to the Future, Doc Martin decides he's going to dismantle the time machine and he's going to study the other great mystery of the universe. You remember what that was, according to Doc? No. Women, right? (laughs) 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 Part two. Uh, The Terminator films is all about destroying uh, the technology so that this whole end of the earth thing will happen and we won't be able to have that technology. Uh, So most of these films usually land in kind of the same place, which is in... Going back, going forward, knowing what's going to happen at the end of the day isn't a good thing because we humans are – that's not the way we're designed. That's not the way what things are supposed to be. Any other follow-up on that, Danny? Well, go
2: ahead. Or Scott, please. I'll go. Trust. Trust. Okay, uh, that's, that's another thought that kind of came to mind as I'm watching this. I don't know who to trust, whose interpretation of this. I mean, it becomes obvious that Jasper is, well, he's kind of got a drug problem. He's, he's got some addictions. But um, but I didn't know where Callie was coming from. I, I kept thinking that she was going to um, betray and, and run off away with Jasper. And uh, so I... I was struggling with knowing who to trust in this in this film until until the end and I kind of figured out you know probably nobody but but Finn was the most consistent had the most integrity of the three.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say that in the end this ends up being a pretty common horror trope where an object of power, a magical object gets into the hands of humans and it highlights their flaws mm-hmm. right? and so so it works i think it works pretty well if you if you don't try to turn your logic too much to the time travel part and just focus on it as a character study
1: yeah one more thing i want to make sure we talk about uh, is the score you guys have mentioned I think, in the past, that you don't necessarily pay too much attention to the score of a film. Um, but I, I, I tend to, and I really enjoyed the score, especially the opening title. Uh, I don't know if you noticed the sequence, but it was it was very, very powerful. It was using strings, and then it brought in some techno and some piano. And by the by the end of the title sequence, when we realized we're, we're dealing with paint being stirred, mm-hmm. very, very effective, really drew me into the film. As a matter of fact, I, I think the score was almost... Too sophisticated in some ways uh, for, for the overall feel of the film. It was scored by a guy named Andrew Kaiser, who was a graduate of USC. And as we all know, USC has a rich history of producing uh, very quality filmmakers. And did either of you ever watch the HBO series a couple of years ago, the, the first season of Westworld? Oh, yeah, I watched that. Did you watch it? Mm-hmm. It reminded me a bit of the opening title sequence, the score. For, for Rust World, kind of that contemplative and yet somewhat jarring score. Uh, I thought it was very, very effective. And throughout the film, I kept coming back to uh, how, how well the movie was scored. Did either of you pick up on the music at all?
0: Listen, Phil, I'm going to have to do more to think about score because I absolutely cannot. Uh, um, I don't know. I just it's not anything that I thought. I, obviously, something like Bernard Harriman or, or the Carpenter score, or, you know, Goblin and stuff. Some of the things have jumped out at me over the years. But I, I seem to have a real hole in my uh, my memory for that like the next day I cannot remember what scores of you know what the score was like in the film yeah. unless it's incredibly striking you know, like the birds or something like
2: that I'm sort of the same way I I, I notice it when it is you know like uh, if like Quentin Tarantino movies the score yeah, I mean, he clearly pays a lot of attention to music and and the mood and the nostalgia and makes the music fit the scene really, really well. And so I notice it when I'm watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. But I don't, other than that, or a few other, um, you know, really great examples. I I don't usually notice. I there were a couple of times where I was thinking, I wonder what song that is. Or you know, there was a, a music clip that reminded me of a song that I couldn't quite name. But not much else. Yeah so if you get a moment, you go to YouTube, you can search the just for the opening
1: title credit of time lapse. the score is there. Andrew Kaiser, you can search for that. And just listening to the opening opening title again. A very, very good, very effective. When even when you're not watching the film, you're just listening to it. Uh, I thought it, it really brought the movie in in a strong way. And you know, sometimes the scores are very obvious and I think are meant to stand out, but other times, the score of a film, uh, doesn't need to be noticeable. It's doing something for you as you're watching the movie, but you don't know what it's doing. You don't even know it's there. So the, the Halloween theme, you know it's there. It's scaring you to death. But sometimes the score of a movie is meant to bring out an emotion in us by actually bringing us deeper into the character and, and not make a whole lot of attention and emphasis on the fact, hey, look at me, I'm this great score. So sometimes one of the greatest compliments potentially a composer could have is, uh, it. I really understand the the emotion of the movie but i don't really necessarily remember the score well that may be exactly uh, what he was going for so uh, it can be both and i think for an effective score for movies anything else here we want to talk about with
2: time lapse
0: i think that's it for me
2: no that i mean that covers it i i You know, I would just end my comments by saying that I did think it was an enjoyable film I think it had some suspense it had some twists it had some logical holes and inconsistencies but it was a for me it was an entertainment very good well that's this episode
1: of Body Count looking forward to seeing you next week as we will be getting into another movie excited about that guys thanks as always for all the good insight this has been a lot of fun So we'll see you next time. Until then, be sure to stay safe and stay scared. See ya. Bye.